<coughs> okay, our tour portion that we're going to go through is um, uh, in Genesis chapter 12. The portion is Lech Lecha, uh, get yourself up or go forth, um, get out of bed. <laughs> Basically, it's God telling Abraham, get up, go forth out of your country, and I'm going to send you to the promised land, make of you a great people, and do all these great things. This is um, uh, probably one of the most uh, important, I would say, behind, well, I don't know, I hate, it doesn't matter, there's no point in ranking things, but it's one of the most important Torah portions, one of the most important portions of Scripture, because it is paramount to understanding so much of Paul's writings. And so we're going to kind of quickly breeze through this and cover um, what happens in this portion. But then what I really want to get into is Galatians. And we're going to go through Galatians chapter 3. Um, because in there, Paul uh, references quite often Abraham and the covenant and faith versus the law and uh, all of these things and works of the law versus works of righteousness. And so it's really important that we understand the foundation of everything back in um in the Torah, so that we can understand what Paul is talking about. Because if you don't understand and have those things in mind, um, it, it's you know you get lost, especially with our preconceived notions and biases that were uh, brought up and taught in normative religion of the day. But basically, what I want us to kind of understand in this portion really is uh, it's just a continual fleshing out of God's plan of restoration. For all things. Because what is the first thing he tells Abraham to do? When, when he, let's go ahead and turn there. Um, when, when he talks to him, he says, Get yourself up out of your land and go to a land that I will show you. You know, so he tells himself to move. You know, get up. Uh, leave where you are. Leave what you, uh, where you are. Leave what you are and go to my land. And there I'm going to make of you a new people and a new creation and bring you back to where you're supposed to be. Because I, I, whether it is or not is irrelevant, but I kind of think that if there is a place where you could pinpoint geographic on this earth where the Garden of Eden probably was, I bet it was in Israel. And so, because to me, it would, it would just make perfect sense with um, man gets driven out of, of the garden because of their sin. So what's God trying to do? He's trying to get them back in there, back where everything was supposed to be. And so his whole plan through Abraham, now that it's getting fleshed out through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the prophets, David, with eventually Yeshua, and then the ingathering of the exiles, is all God correcting everything, you know, because we messed it all up, basically. But he knew that, and so he has a plan, and he has a way. And so that's why we're going to read in Galatians that uh, the gospel was preached to Abraham. That was salvation, right? And, and I think that they understood everything about God way better than we do now. We think that we have evolved and understand more, but really there's just more mud in the water. And we're having to weed things out of our thought process and our mind to get back to the simplicity that I think was understood by nature back then. Because it's what happened as soon as they left the, eat, uh, the garden? They were sacrificing. Well, we're not told, you know, that God told them that sacrifice. I think they understood fundamentally that something had to die on their behalf. And so this, this concept that God himself would have to give himself for his people to redeem them from the uh, death that came upon them 
um, because of their uh, sin in the garden. Um, he had to do that of his own self to bring them back to where he wanted everything to be. So I think this is, again, all part of God's plan of restoration for his people um, and for all mankind to save those who he has chosen. So, Okay, let's go get into this. Uh, and we'll try to get through our Torah portion. Um, so let's read uh, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 8 real quick. Now Yehovah had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land I will show thee. So he, this is kind of the paradigm of the picture at the beginning of salvation. you got to leave where you are. They had to leave Egypt. We have to leave our state of wickedness and sin and corruption and reliance on our own bootstraps and in the world in which we live to rely on God. And, and so it's the same all over for everybody. Two, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So this is the beginning of the promise to Abraham that he's going to make a great nation of him. He's going to bless him, and he's going to make uh, uh, bless them those that bless him and curse those that curse him. And he's going to make in thee all shall all families of the earth be blessed. So how do you get blessed? You have to be in Abraham. We're going to find out exactly what that means. Especially as we get into um, Galatians, Paul's going to tell us exactly what that means. But it's laid, the premise for it all is laid out here. And, and it's not because there's anything special so much about Abraham, although, although there, there, there is. But it's because he had faith and he believed. And God chose him and then he lived righteously. Okay. <laughs> so, Abraham is our paradigm of faith. He, our father Abraham, you know, is what we always say. Abraham was the first Hebrew. The word for Hebrew <coughs> is actually first used in this portion where it says Abraham the Hebrew when he went after uh, Lot. What that means is, and why they called him a Hebrew, is a he- Hebrew means one who has crossed over. He left where he was and he went where God told him to. He was obedient. So that's why we are also called Hebrews, and God called his people Hebrews, because they are continually leaving where they were to follow God in his way. So that's what it means to be a Hebrew. That's why I hope we're a Hebraic congregation. One must be in Abraham to reap the blessings of the covenant that God made with him and his descendants. God sends him back to the land, part of God's work to restore all things. So let's finish reading this. So, verse 4. Abraham departed as Jehovah had spoken into him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy. Abram, sorry, was seventy and five years old when he had departed out of Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, Lot his brother's son, all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And Yehovah appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto Yehovah, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto Yehovah, and called upon the name of Yehovah. So he heads off, he goes to Egypt, uh, Egypt. He goes to Canaan, 
And God says, unto your seed I have given this land. So we have this promise of the promised land that's given to Abraham and his seed. We already are told in, in, in uh, uh, embryonic terms what the, his, his seed is. This is all those who are in Abraham, which we know will co- encompass those who come from the nations. Because... Um, and from his own lines. But it's important to remember, remember, right, that Abraham at this point is a Gentile. He's an idol worshiper. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans. Later on, you're going to read, when you brought an offering to the temple, you would say, my father was a wandering Armenian. You know, so he was a Gentile. So, again, that's why Abraham is the paradigm of faith, because he leaves where his roots are. He leaves who and what he was to become a man of faith to obey God. And it's no different for anybody else. And, and, and this is what, uh, this, what, why this is such an important concept is because when we read in Galatians, you have to understand that to uh, understand Paul correctly. Because what eventually, well, I'll hold myself back. I'll start preaching about Galatians. Okay. Uh, so God sends him there, blah, blah, blah. He's going to be a multitude of people. Okay, let's go to 13. Um, 14 through 18. Um, and we're going to skip the whole part where he goes down to Egypt and the Sarah and blah, blah, blah. And Lot and hit them split. Um, and he has to rescue Lot in verse 14. But let's go to chapter 13, um, verse 14. This is God talking to him. And Yehovah appeared unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him. Now lift up thine eyes and look. From the place whither, where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, and the length of it, and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And Abraham removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto Jehovah. Again, there's that picture of the altar, the idea of covenant, um, promises, um, death, and life. And so God, again, promising him uh, not only the land, but a multitude that will come from him. So now, Lot gets captured. Abraham goes and rescues him. On the way back in chapter 14, verse 18, we have Melchizedek. so we'll note that in eighteen of four, chapter 14, verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. And uh, so there we have Melchizedek, who is a very important figure. Um, who gets referenced later in Scripture, in the Psalms, and then later in the New Testament. Um, We're not really told a whole lot about him. There's a whole lot of teaching about Melchizedek based on very little information, which always tends to make me nervous. Uh, And some people have hinged uh, rather large doctrinal beliefs on on these slim passages, which um, hold very little water, if at best. I'll just leave it at that. So... Um, let's keep going here. <clears throat> Chapter 15. Um, this is a really, really, really important passage. God promises Abraham a son. 
Abraham believes and it's counted unto him for righteousness. And also the promise of the land and God, there's the promise of the land again, and God makes a covenant with Abraham um, with himself, basically. Uh, in other words, we're gonna re- what, we'll, what we'll read is God puts Abraham to sleep and he makes a covenant with him for the land uh, and then he'll have a multitude that'll come from him. But God is the only one who um, uh, engages in the covenant, I guess you say. Because back in the day, when you made a covenant, uh, you would say, let's cut a covenant. And literally that's what the, the, the uh, word means is to cut as part of it. So what they would do is they'd take an animal and they cut it in half and the two parties would say, I promise to do X, Y, and Z and then they both walk through the cut animal. And the reason for that was is if one of us breaks the covenant, may we be as the animal that gets split in two. All right? Interestingly, Israel gets split in two later on in history. Hmm. Um, and so they, uh, they get split in, you get split in two if you don't keep the covenant. What's really important about this covenant and again why it relates to um, salvation and why again Abraham's a paradigm as faith is Abraham is put to sleep he gets the animal he splits him in half God puts him to sleep and then God passes through so he makes in other words it's an unbreakable covenant because God can't lie he can't break a covenant. And so he makes this promise to Abraham and to his seed forever that they will have the land, they will be his people, and uh, this covenant cannot be broken because, again, just like salvation, it's nothing that you can do. It's God who does it for you. And so this is laid out in plain, you know, any Joe Farmer person can understand this. It's not high theology, pie in the sky, blinky theological terms that you have to, you know, go to school and get a master's for. It's the simple stuff. Abraham was a sheep herder, you know. It's like, but he was probably a lot smarter than any of us and understood God better. Okay, so let's just hit a few things in here, why it's really believed. So, and again, keep in mind the order of things. So, uh, he, he leaves where he was, he goes to the land, God makes him these promises. Um, but, he didn't have any kids. And so he's thinking to himself, how in the world am I going to, you know, have a great nation if I don't have any kids? And so he talks to God about this in verse chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of Yahweh came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, uh, Lord Yahweh, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham uh, said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of Jehovah came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now towards heaven, tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in Jehovah and counted it to him for righteousness. I kind of think that's where Abraham got saved. <laughs> he believed God. He trusted in God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That's a super important verse 
and the thing that happened right there. He believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He didn't do anything and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He wasn't born into some special family and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He believed in what God had said and he trusted him because of that. So he then goes, uh, go, then goes on the rest of this chapter and talks about the covenant that I just told you about. Where after now that Abraham believes, God makes a covenant with him by himself and uh, to establish these things. And um, then in chapter 16, again, the paradigm of uh, doing things your own way, not acting in faith, now is born out, literally, in uh, this uh, scenario with Hagar and Ishmael because they weren't seeing immediate results. <laughs> and so they decide to take matters into their own hands and say, well, you know, we got to help God out here. Let's, you know, do it of our own way. But what that, uh, what that is a picture of is um, not acting in faith. So when you do it on your own, when God has promised you something and you do it another way, on your own, the promises are not fulfilled. So that's going to be the picture of, of, uh, of Hagar and Ishmael. So it's the picture of trying to gain God's promise by your own effort. And we know where that leads. We get Ishmael and we get a whole lot of bad that comes out of that. So that is death, you could even say, right? And so that is the picture of, again, salvation here, the promise of the seed uh, and God working out his promises. Do it your own way, you reap death. Do it God's way, you reap life. And so these are the pictures that God's drawing for us through the life of, of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar literally means the stranger, Right? So doing it with a stranger doesn't help you. And then you get Ishmael. Okay, so now go on to verse 17. I'm sorry, chapter 17. Um, uh, we'll just read a little bit. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, and Jehovah uh, uh, appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, sorry, and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Uh... Then you get the, the covenant of circumcision, the sign of the covenant of circumcision. Again, uh, take note that God, uh, Abraham believes God and is counted to him for righteousness, and then he gets circumcised. Ishmael is created in the flesh. I think that's kind of the picture of, of, of circumcision, doing it your own way. So 
operating not on faith, but uh, trying to act out the, the promises of your own effort while uncircumcised, not in faith, not in belief, circumcision of the heart. All these things, you see all these things are tied together and how they're, they're fleshed out early on in the life of Abraham and then they're used as idioms later on. And if you don't understand this, you get lost. And so operating without being circumcised of your own devices only leads to death, leads to Ishmael. He believes it's counted in righteousness. Then he gets circumcised. He acts, right? He obeys as a result of his belief. And then the promised seed comes through God. Amen. Not of his own effort and works, right? Because he was old, yeah. you know? So was Sarah. God did a miracle, you know? And so I think the picture of circumcision is it's not of your own works. This is something new I have to do. I have to get the flesh out of the way so that I can work out my promises in your life. There's so much wrapped up in here we could talk about all kinds of stuff for forever, but let's keep moving. Okay, so, uh, all right, that's it for our Torah portion. Um, Yeah, there's all kinds of good stuff, but we'll just keep going. (laughs) Uh, Isaiah chapter 41. Our Torah portion, uh, half Torah portion. It's pretty short, but it's good. We'll read it and then we'll go on to Galatians. <sighs> All right, Isaiah forty-one eight through six. But thou, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all that they were all they that were increased against Incense, sorry, against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them, and thou shalt find them, even them that contend with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, Jehovah thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith Jehovah, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. And thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small and shalt make the hills of chaff. And thou shalt fan them and the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And thou shalt rejoice in Jehovah and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. Amen. God, such a good passage. Can't wait. Woo! So, there's your uplifting, encouraging passage. (laughs) I don't know if any of you guys who have ever seen a threshing board where you were to work, Mom, at the Fleischers, that table that they had in their uh, living room that they had glass over, and it it looked like a sled. Like, if you took an old school sled upside down, because that's basically what it was, was shaped like. Imagine a wood sled... And um, 
with the front of it kind of turned up. Underneath that, if you flipped it over, they would stick into it these jagged, sharp pieces of rock and glass and you know, so what? then what would happen is you'd hook that up to your donkey or your mule or yourself would pull it and you would drag that across the grain in a circle and it would break everything up. It would break the chaff off of the wheat. And so if you imagine dragging that across something, it just mows it down and destroys it. And so he's saying Israel will be as a new sharp threshing instrument with having teeth. So if you picture this and it says... Um, thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small and shall make the hills as chaff. Mountains and hills are um, idiomatic words for uh, leaders and nations and countries. In other words, you're going to be the one that's going to mow them down and break them up. And then the wind will blow them away as chaff in the wind. You know, so we, we don't have the graphic images of this because we don't do these things in our daily life. But when I saw that in, in uh, the house where my mom used to work there, I was like, wow, this brings a whole new meaning to what God's talking about when he's going to have Israel. I mean, this thing is nasty looking, you know. You wouldn't want it to run over your foot. It would slice it to ribbons. So anyway, all right, now let's go to, so that's our Hoftor portion. It's awesome. God is just reaffirming his strength and promises to his people. Uh, and he's going to use them mightily. Now go up to Galatians. We're going to try to get through Galatians chapter 3 because... Uh, it's great. So, all right. Now, understand, and I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but maybe someone will listen to this. To understand Galatians, you have to separate yourself mentally from living in 2016 with a myriad of Bible translations and uh, theological colleges and masters and put yourself as a lowly fisherman Back in the first century, growing up, only having read the Tanakh, you went to the synagogue every Sabbath. You heard Moses spoken of. You heard the prophets read, and then it was expounded upon. You had never heard of Christmas. You'd never heard of Easter. And if you had, it was only in relation to the wicked pagans and them burning their children and doing terrible things. And so all you had was the promises that were given in the Tanakh that you read over and over every Shabbat were forever, okay? So if someone like Paul or anybody like Yeshua came along and said that something was done away with or changed because of the qualifications of a prophet that you were given, again, the only books you had in your hand or in the synagogue and scrolls, said not to believe that person, not to listen to that person, that's the opera. There was no New Testament, okay? There were no, it was not codified and, and, and circulated. There were uh, letters from Paul and, and Peter and the other apostles starting to get circulated at this point. But again, they, you know, the, the, the modern Christian concepts that we have did not exist, okay? So that's the uh, first century context that you have to view these books through complemented with that what was going on in Judaism of the first uh, century. Judaism, and this is extremely important to understand, concept to understand, they had their assurance of their place in the kingdom of God because of their heritage, because they were Jewish, because of the blood in their veins. 
And a lot of this was a product of what had happened um, after the exiles had come back from Babylon and during the whole Maccabean period in which they were trying to well-intentioned um, protect themselves basically from the nations and, and protect themselves from uh, uh, things coming in and, and deluding the people and their fervence and their obedience from God because they, they knew and they learned through, through uh, uh, harsh times that if they disobeyed, harsh punishment came. And so they started to get a little bit militant, even with their own people. And that's why you see a lot of infighting with the sex of the day going on. Um, and so you have to look at what's the, the New Testament. You have to read these books with, with some of this context involved. And it's born out in there. You don't have to go through a, a class to understand this. If you just you know, look at the scripture as a whole, you can see these things. But we tend to look at it from our bias that Old Testament gone, done away with. Jesus came, he's new, he's changed everything. That would have been completely foreign and heretical to anyone in the first century. Okay, And nobody would have listened to them. But they did, because they uh, spoke in harmony with the Old Testament, because they were filling the prophecies in the New Testament, and they saw that firsthand. Okay, so with Abraham and everything that happened in his life fresh in our minds, let's read uh, Galatians chapter 3. Okay, so, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul's just ripping them a new one. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Yeshua Messiah have been, so, have been evidently set forth, crucified among you. So, um, this idea of them not obeying the truth. Again, the, the preference, the premise being that um, people were coming in and saying, uh, because there was code words for different things. Circumcision, for instance, meant um, oftentimes when you read it, it means uh, uh, conversion, to become Jewish, to become part of Israel. You had to be circumcised. But Paul's going to make the whole argument, what makes you a child of God, which that which brings you into the kingdom and the people of Israel, is your belief, just like Abraham the believer, and then he was circumcised. That's his whole premise. So Paul's kind of ripping him a new one because he's saying, you guys got to where you are through faith and through trust in Messiah Yeshua who came to redeem you from your sins, just like Abraham knew these things. Why now are you going back under the law, back under the um, the the uh, list of rules and oral tour exactly by Judaism of the day that says, no, if you want to be in our club, you got to do X, Y, and Z. And Paul is saying, that's his whole, his whole argument with what was going on and why they hate him so, so, so much is because he was allowing anybody to get into the club because when they professed Yeshua and they, pre had, they had faith and they believed. And the Jews of the day were saying, whoa, 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 whoa. How do we know that this guy is who he says he is? If he doesn't do X, Y, and Z. So if they get circumcised, they get immersed, and they do a couple other things, then they can be saved and in the club. And Paul's saying, no, salvation, what brings you into the kingdom and the people of the God is by faith alone through Yeshua's death. Otherwise, what the world did Yeshua die for? Is what he goes on to say. And salvation, so he's, he basically goes on to say is, if salvation is not by faith, then it's by works. 
the works of the flesh, the works of the law, which, again, we found out what that does, right? It's death is what he says because Abraham acted in the flesh, uncircumcised with Hagar, the stranger, to try to work out the um, uh, promises and death ensues, right? You get Ishmael, you get the enemy. So that's kind of the, the, the context of all this and now what we do. Okay, verse two. This only should, would I learn of you. Received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In other words, did you get the spirit by uh, doing a certain list of things or did you get it through the hearing of faith? And it's a rhetorical statement, obviously. He's saying you got it through faith. Are ye so foolish having begun in the spirit and now you are made perfect by the flesh? So they're made perfect by the spirit, by faithfulness. And it was counted unto him for righteousness because he believed, right? Just like us. It's counted unto us for righteousness because we believe. But then... That there he's saying, now you guys are looking to a list of do's and don'ts to find your status in the people of God. And that's not how it's supposed to be. All right. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore that ministered to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Ye know, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. That's a huge statement of the day. Those which are of faith are the children of Abraham. Because Judaism of the day said, you're a children of Abraham if you convert, get circumcised, keep kosher, blah, 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 keep all of these oral law and statutes and those things. Paul was saying, no. You are a child of God. You become a part of Israel and grafted in by faith and by trust. There's where the bone of contention lies. There's nothing in here about whether one should keep Torah or not keep Torah. It's how do you become a member of the covenant people of God? We already were told that back in the third Torah portion with Abraham. Because why? Because Abraham was a Gentile. And he got into the kingdom of God by faith. And then he was circumcised. Okay. Uh, seven. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham? And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee all the nations, uh, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So God foreseen that God, uh, would, uh, uh, scripture for seeing God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel. So we got the gospel being preached unto Abraham, saying, In thee all the nations shall be blessed. So there's the gospel. In thee, in Abraham, in faith, in trust shall all the nations be blessed. That's why you have to be in Abraham, a child of Abraham. Uh, seven. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, nine. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with the faithful. Abraham, for as many are of works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law. So the curse of the law is the fact that you're not able to do it all perfectly. And so if you're trying to work out these promises, uh, like we saw with Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael, it only leads to cursing and not into life. 
Uh, but, uh, where was I? 10, um, 11. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. For it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So it's by faith that you have life. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. So the law is not of faith. In other words, that which rectifies you with God is faith, not in your keeping a list of do's and don'ts. Once you, like Abraham, once you do believe in its counterfeit for righteousness, then you are expected to obey, and as he did with circumcision. 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Yeshua Messiah, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, because there is the curse, we are all cursed because we're all separated from God under death because we all sin. That... Uh, 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 principle goes all the way back to the garden where God killed the animals and put clothing of animal skins on them. Cain and Abel had offered sacrifices. Abel had the blood and he was accepted. Cain did not. He only had the fruit of the ground and he was not accepted. His own works, right? Whereas the blood only comes from God, which he creates. And so that takes away the curse. Just like Yeshua removes the curse of the law from us. Okay, so uh, where were we? So that 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Yeshua Messiah. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannul it or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Messiah. That's really important. There's not two seeds. There's not two people of God. There's one people of God. It goes all the way back to Abraham. And that seed of faith, the seed of the faithful, that is Messiah. Okay? So all those who are in Abraham, in faith, are in Messiah. And have their, his spirit in them. And so there's only one people. There's not the Jews, Israel, the church. There's only one people of God from the beginning. Now that's what Paul says. Okay, uh, I keep losing my spot. 17. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Messiah, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of no effect. In other words, God didn't change his mind and say, well, never mind, it's not by faith anymore. you got to do... Uh, all these things to be part of the the club. It's always been by faith, and then and then you obey, and then Abraham was circumcised. Eighteen. For if the inheritance be of law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? In other words, when he says serveth the law, again we tend to, and I tend to, because we've been programmed so much to say, uh, you know. Wherefore serveth the law, we tell them, you know, uh, obey the Torah. That's not what he's saying. Serveth the law meaning doing a list of, of man-made things to make you part of the covenant people of Israel. You know, again, Abraham doing his own fleshly works to try to create the promise and make it happen. It leads to death. 
So it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promises was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. And then just so, he goes on here and says, just in case you're thinking that he's dragging, throwing the law under the bus, he's sure to tell you, no, he's not. Because he says, uh, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith in Yeshua Messiah might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept up under the law. We were kept under the law, shut up under faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Messiah, that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith had come, we were no longer under the schoolmaster. Again, that doesn't mean now the law has gone away with that we're not under schoolmaster. It means we're not under the curse of the law, right? Because you're not able to do a list of do's and don'ts to get you into the kingdom. It's only by faith. It's only by shedding of blood. That covenant. Okay? For ye are all children of God by faith in Yeshua Messiah. Couldn't say it any more simply there. For as many of you have been baptized into Messiah, have put on Messiah. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if ye be Messiahs, then ye be Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. You know, it all works so symbiotically and tightly, and if you just read it for what it says, understanding the a basic few conceptual, um, contextual things, it makes sense. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It is hard and difficult if you twist it. You know, then it just, oh man, it spins off the 18 million rabbit trails. But you can't be any more plain. If ye be messiahs, which every Christian would accept that they are, ye be Abraham's seed. Mm, what does that mean? Heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? The land, the Torah, restoration, you know, the Messiah. One people, one seed, one promise, one law. You know, not, not slicing and dicing the Bible like it's some frog in a petri dish. You know, to spin it basically so that we can do whatever we want all over again. That's usually what ends up happening. So you can either have power, people following you to put your branding on it to make it new and fresh and cool and have a group following you around and, and you know, to make your own and make it in your own image or to figure out how not to have to obey God, basically. Instead, if we would just, you know, leave our, our, our flesh and our own pride and our own desires at the door and would really seek to obey God and strip away our uh, you know our fears in life and our, our uh, um, rebelliousness you know and truly seek to follow God this is where his spirit is leading his people You know, so if a person generally, I believe, 
wants to obey, seeks to follow God, he is going to lead them in his path of righteousness. You know, how could all of the, what, what is termed, you know, how the Torah is spoken of as light and righteousness and uh, healing and good suddenly change? You know, it hasn't. Because God doesn't change. And every, I mean, everything that Paul, you know, it really undermines everything that the apostles were doing. They were doing nothing different than the prophets. They're calling the people back to obedience and to true faithfulness, not the muddled muck that had happened with the, with the Torah. They turned it into high-minded theology. And so you had to go to their rabbinic schools and be trained under ex-rabbi for X amount of years to be able to know what you were doing. But Paul had been in all of that. And he had to unlearn all of that. I think that's part of those three years in Arabia. And then now he's bucking the system, basically. And that's why they hated him so much. Same thing with Yeshua. That's why Yeshua said, I can make children of Abraham out of these stones. The children of Abraham, and that's why Paul says other uh, a Jew is not one who is one outwardly, but one who is one inwardly, right? In other words, i.e., you are part of the people of God, the kingdom of God, because what, what Yeshua has done inwardly to you, not because you uh, have done the, the list of conversion steps, you know, or your, you can trace your, your bloodline lineage, because... Otherwise, you know, Ishmael would be uh, part of the kingdom. But he's not because he did not follow in the footsteps of Abraham, his father. I, uh, uh, Isaac did. So, All right, we'll close there. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this day, for your word, for the truth of Abraham, our father, this paradigm of faith. Uh, help us to walk as he did, willing to leave our, our old way of life, our old self behind, and to follow you and your promises wherever they may lead. And so gather us back to your land. Lead us back in your ways. Restore us as your people. Make us sharp threshing instruments to be used by you without the baggage of our own lives. I just pray these things, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.